there, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to the eighth episode of the Last Word on Sends podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today, we will be continuing the Canadian Division preview as we go team by team, looking at every team and what they're all about. Uh, again, the purpose of this is just kind of give everyone an idea of what every other team is going through. And um, this is a huge week for the podcast. I have the Oilers one out today. The Jets one should be out in a couple days. Uh, and then we will have Habs and Leafs out by the end of the week, early next week as well. And then uh, mid to late next week, I'm hoping to get our, another guest on to preview the Senators, and I'm really excited for that. So, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, today we're talking everything Edmonton. Zach Lang of the Nation Network joins me, and we discuss uh, Edmonton season last year, their disappointing exit from the bubble, uh, their offseason this year, and what we expect from this, uh, this lineup and just everything about it. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys have been enjoying these. Um, if you've missed it, uh, we I had uh, Harmon Dial of The Athletic on to break down Vancouver, and Carl Landra of... Uh, the fourth line podcast to break down Calgary. So you can find those where you're listening to this. Uh, and then, yeah, as I said, the Jets should be out in a couple days, and then we'll head back to the East for Montreal and Toronto and Ottawa. So, um, as always, if there's anyone you want to hear or anything you want me to talk about, shoot it my way. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff, and the pod, uh, the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. So, uh, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoy. Joining me now, he is the news director for the Oilers Nation and the Nation Network. Uh, he covers the Oilers, Flames, Canucks, and Leafs, among others. Uh, he's here to talk Oilers with me. It's Zach Lang. Zach, thank you so much for joining me today. Alex, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're just going to keep going through the division previews. You know, I've had uh, I've done I think Vancouver so far and Calgary, and so we'll I'm staying out west with the Edmonton Oilers and. Uh, I, again, it should be an interesting year. I, I feel like with everyone I have on, I say that uh, this division should be thrilling no matter what. But uh, this is another interesting team to break down, you know, um, uh, from just what they did this offseason to to the expectations. You know, last year they had a pretty solid regular season, but uh, a disappointing four-game bubble against um, the Chicago Blackhawks saw them go out much earlier than uh, expected. What what do you think the uh, motive or the goal for this team is this year? Like, is second round good enough, or do you think they want to go further? I mean, I think second round is probably a, a good goal to start with for the Oilers. I mean, I think even just making it to the playoffs would be um, an achievement for the club. Obviously, I think having that chance to play as much playoff hockey as possible is where you want to be. You know, look, this is a team where um, core pieces like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are starting to get into their mid-20s. And the expectation right now is that this is a club that needs to win, I think. Um, you know, I think Ken Holland has done a fine job in the last two years um, reversing some of the wrongs that happened from the previous GM era. And I think this is an Oilers team that really needs to make a big push this year. You know, they can take advantage of a, a fairly pedestrian North division this year, I think. And and honestly, I think the Oilers can contend for, for the top spot in the division with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think um, this is kind of one of those years where the Oilers really need to take advantage of of what's going on with the, the global pandemic, just in the sense of how the division is being shaped and shifted here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think when I was trying to do my division rankings, it's so hard. It, it feels like I almost have a different ranking every time other than Ottawa 7 and Toronto 1 is usually what I have. But even Toronto, like I mentioned a bunch of times, it's not a guarantee they win. I think it's it's fair that they're favorites in the division. But again, favorites, I'd say, is winning it 
40% of the time. And then the other 16 share some kind of the 60 or maybe even a little less than that. I, don't, I haven't looked at, you know, a bunch of models for it, but um, Edmonton is one of those teams that are right in there. And I think they just need a couple things to break right that uh, I think you can see breaking right. And they should be right. Uh, definitely in the playoff hunt, you know, and especially maybe in the division hunt there too. Like I, I would be shocked if this is a year where, unless, you know, obviously with the counter of like, McDavid or Dreisaitl going down and missing significant time because anyone's going to hurt from that. But, um, you know, assuming everyone stays relatively healthy, I'd be shocked if these guys aren't right in the thick of the, uh, the playoff race, because as you mentioned, the division, um, it just has so many question marks in it, right? Like I think it's fair to say Ottawa's probably not making the playoffs. Uh, Montreal looks, they, they improved on paper, but from how much they were a 24th place team, Winnipeg, they've got some big questions. You know, I like Calgary, but you know, Calgary needs Goudreau to bounce back. So uh, it definitely right at the top of this division is it's wide open for the taking. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Ken Holland. I agree. I think uh, he did a pretty good job. You know, last year he, he wanted to stick to the script and he ended up going out and he paid, I think it was a second for Athanasiu and, you know, he moved his third and fifth, but, um, so they don't exactly have a ton of draft capital for this year to work with. That being said, I really liked what he did this offseason too. Uh, it feels like for like three years, we said the Oilers just need cheap wings. And, and that's kind of what he went and got out. And I really think the the depth of the forwards has looked the best it has since they got McDavid. I think the depth of the roster in total is the best that it's been since they got McDavid. And that's even considering the 2017 playoff run that the Oilers went on as well, uh, which was uh, a fairly solid roster to say the least, you know, the Oilers were in a tough position, even looking back to last season, like let's not forget that this is an Oilers club who um, was contending for the, the Pacific division title when the league shut down last year. I mean, they were still in the hunt for that, that first spot. And I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten that. And, and there's definitely that recency bias of, yeah, well, they got eliminated by Chicago. And that's kind of embarrassing because Chicago was one of the worst teams in the league all of last year. Um, you know, I think when you when you look at this roster, you're absolutely right. You know, Dominic Cahoon, Tyler Ennis comes back. Uh, Kyle Turris, Jesse Pugliarvi comes back to town. You know, those are some some fairly big names that are going to provide a lot of depth for this Oilers club. Um, you know, I don't think there's any reason why they shouldn't be like, I mean, they'll be a playoff team this year for sure. And I don't think that there's any reason why, like I said earlier, you know, they couldn't contend. You know, Ken Holland's been in a bit of a tough position from the get go. You know, when he got hired, he kind of admitted that he kind of wanted to sit on his hands a little bit and kind of see how things played out. He didn't make a whole lot of moves. And then, you know, at the trade deadline, he swung for the fences, uh, two second round picks and Sam Gagne for Athens CU. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that it, the trade didn't work out. And that's partially because of the fact that Athens was injured when he came to Edmonton. So he wasn't quite the player that he needed to be. And then of course there's a global pandemic um, that, necessitated the cap not being able to move up to the 85 88 million dollar spot that was kind of expected but nonetheless he went out and he had a really solid draft this year um you know taking dylan holloway in the first round and then trading back and picking up tyler tulio and, and carter savoy um in, in the fourth and fifth rounds respectively um so i think he's done a fine job this last offseason here and then that's not even considering bringing in a guy like tyson berry on the defense like 
that's such a cheap contract, um, considering the fact that Barry left uh, term and money on the table to sign with the Oilers. Um, it's really going to be interesting to see how he kind of plays into the Oilers season here. I mean, I think he could have a, a good chance to be a near point per game defenseman on this team solely because of the offensive firepower and the power play minutes that Barry will uh, ultimately see. Yeah, and, and that's a great spot. I think that's a perfect way to just jump into what we see on the roster this year, honestly. And we'll start with their defense. And um, it was announced early in the year that Oscar Clefbaum uh, is going to be missing a, a big chunk of the year, if not the entire season. You know, uh, I think it's expected he's going to miss most of the regular season. And, you know, hopefully he can get healthy by playoffs, but maybe not. And that's really where Tyson Berry, uh, the, the acquisition of Tyson Berry, it just it made all the sense in the world to me, you know. Um, yeah, he struggled in Toronto last year, but uh, Mike Babcock asked him to be someone he wasn't. And we've seen, you know, even under Sheldon Keefe at the back half of the year, his numbers and just play looked a lot better. And I think if you're Edmonton, and as long as you know what you're going to get out of Tyson Berry, uh, you know, he, he's going to work out great. He's going to be the quarterback, uh, power play one quarterback for you, you know, and with a, a power play that has McDavid, Dreisaitl, you know, just all kinds of weapons on it, he's going to rack up points there. And then Again, like as long as you don't ask him to be this super defender at five on five, like if you give him, I don't even know if you need to shelter him, but you just, he can't be taking the hard matchups and you're going to be fine on five on five with him too. So as long as you know what you're getting out of him, I really like the pickup. And honestly, it was one of the only few teams that really made sense to me, especially with Oscar Clefbaum going down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the cleft bomb loss is, is a massive one for the Oilers. Looking back over the last number of years, any time that the Oilers uh, or any time the Oilers were without cleft bomb, the team really struggled. Um, he, I think he's honestly one of the most underrated defensemen in the league um, because of the impact that he has on this club. Um it's going to be interesting to see the way that they utilize Barry, you know, you're spot on in saying that, you know, he was a different player under Keith than he was under Babcock. Um, that set that back half of the year. He was, he was the Tyson Barry. We all uh, know and, and love, so to speak. Right. So, you know, I think the power play is going to be great for him. And even if he can come in and just contribute like average five on five numbers, um, I think he's going to be a really solid player for the Oilers this year. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and it, it'll be huge just trying to replace him because, uh, yeah, I, I feel like the, the casual fan probably doesn't realize what losing Clefbaum means to the Oilers. You know, he, he's he been the heartbeat of the defense. I, I think when people think Oilers defensemen, they think Darnell Nurse right away, obviously Adam Larson, and honestly, even Chris Russell to an extent, just because of how much he's been in dialogue. But uh, Oscar Clefbaum is a huge one there. And, um, you know, the rest of their decor, it's pretty interesting. You know, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to be great particularly, but I don't think it's going to be horrible either. I think it's going to be hopefully right in the middle and that's all Edmonton should really be asking for right now. I think, you know, you got uh, Darnell nurse, Adam Larson, Tyson Berry, Ethan bear, Caleb Jones, Chris Russell, Slater cuckoo. And then, you know, in the minors, you got guys like Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberg. Um, so it'll be really interesting to me to see and keep an eye on, you know, which one of the younger defensemen can take a step forward, whether that's, Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, or even if it's someone like uh, Evan Bouchard stepping up and, and taking some minutes on this blue line this year, I, I think that'll be something really interesting to keep an eye on. Look, I think that this is a, actually a fairly underrated Edmonton Oilers defense. Um, Ethan Bear was tremendous last year. He was quietly one of the best defensemen. Um, I, I mean, he was 
a rookie last year. He's a fifth round draft pick, but he was incredible last year. He really was. He he played the whole year alongside Darnell Nurse, and Nurse is kind of known as having a sort of quote reckless style of game. Like he's he's not super great in the defensive zone. He loves to jump up in the rush and stuff like that. He gets caught out of position. Ethan Bear came in and he just solidified that pairing and he he was playing some incredible hockey for the Oilers um so I'm looking for Ethan Bear to take a big step forward this year I think Caleb Jones quietly is going to have a breakout campaign here sort of similar to what we saw from from Ethan Bear last year uh Caleb Jones's underlying numbers were really really strong last year and they were actually great in the the play-in round against Chicago too like he was tremendous against them and then there's a guy like you mentioned in Slater Cuckoo who is a very solid depth shutdown defenseman as a six, seven guy. I, I think this is an Oilers defensive group that that's going to be a little bit underrated and, and, and could cause some troubles for opposing teams. You know, and of course, you know, you can mention defense without talking about the goaltending situation as well. You know, Mikko Koskinen was solid for the Oilers last year. He was pretty much a league average goaltender and Mike Smith was, well, he was Mike Smith, right? He was, he was super hot for a while and then he was ice cold and then he was hot again. And then he was ice cold. You know, if, if the Oilers can get uh, a little bit of better goaltending from Smith as well, um, I think this could be a dangerous back end of the Oilers lineup. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you mentioned with Caleb Jones there, he, he didn't play a lot much last year, you know, just in terms of overall minutes, but he was really, really good when he did play, you know, it just in all areas of the zone, he just, he excelled, he looked good. And, and the numbers really show that too. So it'll be really interesting to see if at five on five, he can get even a little bit more, you know, they don't have to throw him to the wolves or anything, but if he can build his way up to the point where he's playing number three, four kind of role, uh, you know, they, they maybe lack the stud number one defenseman, but they have a bunch of really, really solid guys on that blue line. And I don't think that's the worst way to build your line out either. You know, just no weaknesses. Um, obviously you don't have the, the Victor Hedman type, but very few teams do. So, you know, build from just a, a core piece of strength there. And um, yeah, when you said with the goaltending, uh, th- that's really my worry with the team this year. Um, you know, part of it still maybe the depth scoring, but I like that they at least tried to address it. Uh, I was personally just really surprised when they ran it back with Mike Smith. I, I know the it, it felt like the goalie market kind of dried up on them uh, a lot quicker than maybe they were expecting, but just with how many names were going into the goalie market this year, for them to come out with the exact same, you know, Koskin and Smith tandem, I, I was a little surprised. Um, it might work. You know, I again, Koskinen played really well last year for – honestly surprising, you know, like I think after the, when he got handed that contract, people are like, Oh God, that's going to look bad. And if he plays like that for two more years, it'll look great. Cause he, he really was a solid goalie last year, but uh, you know, I, I thought maybe there would be an upgrade on Mike Smith as the backup and that not happening. Definitely surprised me a little bit. Yeah. I think that's the case for anybody who follows the Oilers, uh, whether they're a fan or whether they're uh, somebody who covers the team like me. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of hype around Jacob Markstrom to the Edmonton Oilers. And I really think the Oilers um, kind of pushed all of, went all in on, on Markstrom. Um, they really tried hard to court him uh, and, and get him to come uh, play up here in Edmonton. And I think when, when he chose to sign in Calgary, you know, the Oilers were kind of left uh, trying to find a second option. And, at the end of the day, they know what they have in Mike Smith. And Holland said even before free agency opened that, you know, they would be comfortable going back to Smith, which is a little disappointing to say the least. I mean, 
he was uh, very streaky last year and he lost the other some key games and, and he was a big reason why they got eliminated against Chicago. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out this year. You know, I think Koskinen will have to take another step forward and, and try and secure more of the games, but in the same breath too, you know, with a 56 game schedule and back to backs and these mini game sets, it's going to be, really hard for him to kind of do that right like you're going to see a lot of teams going with the 1a 1b situation and uh it's going to be kind of one of uh one of the really big storylines to follow who knows maybe there's a move to be made early in the season here uh to, to try and secure the goaltending spot a little bit more highly unlikely but you know the Oilers also have Anton Forsberg as a third goaltender too he's kind of a career AHLer um but you know he might be able to come in and, and break it up a little bit too and and help keep Smith a little extra rested so to speak um if if that's what he needs yeah and I think you kind of touched on too part of the issue with Smith is not just having him. I, I think if you had him and he was just your backup, it, it might not be so bad, but it's, it's almost the team and coaching staff's willingness to want to play him all the time. You know, like um, if I remember correctly, he was getting starts in the bubble and I was just like, why are you like, like, I just, when you look at Miko Koskinen, I, I get he's, he doesn't have a history or anything in the, in the NHL, but when you look at Miko Koskinen's year last year to Mike Smith and, you know, it, sure it's a long enough layoff or whatever, but like, uh, just the fact that Mike Smith played, you know, at all in the bubble shocked me really, you know, like um, it felt like it should have been Koskinen's net to start with. And it, it uh, you know, I, I don't know, like, it's just one of those things where, it, as you mentioned, it's going to be tough to try and give Koskinen a bunch of the starts because uh, I know I was looking at the Ottawa Senators schedule. I haven't looked all the way through Edmonton's, but with the Ottawa schedule, they play 11 back-to-backs this year. So it's like, 20% of their games right there are going to be given to your backup at a minimum because you just can't play your goalie on a back-to-back anymore. Or, you know, you shouldn't be as often anymore. You know, I, I think with the less yeah. travel, it might help, but if you need to, you can, but you know, you're not playing your goalie six times on back-to-backs this year, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's part of the thing too, you know, like I think, Dave Tippett and Mike Smith go back to their days in Arizona and, you know, Mike Smith is like the third defenseman out there on the ice too sometimes for better or for worse. And there's something about that, that I uh, don't think the others coaching staff can seem to get away from. Like they just, yeah, you know, he, he has all the buzzwords around him too. He competes, he's a competitor, he's a fighter, he's a gritty guy. He beat the hell out of Cam Talbot last year in a fight in the middle of February. You know, he's got all of those sort of intangibles that, um, he can't exactly put down on a, on a scorecard. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see the way that they utilize these two guys over the course of the season. And it, it could be one that's detrimental to the, to the season. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens between, you know, the start of the season and the trade deadline come April. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned Forsberg as well. And I'm really curious to see if there are more teams who try and utilize a three goalie system. You know, we haven't really seen it too often. We saw it with Columbus. Uh, I guess it'd be two years ago now when they're making that big playoff push in 2019. You know, they had Bob uh, Corpusalo and oh, who did they pick up? Uh, someone from the Devils, I want to say, but I can't remember who. I'm blanking yeah, on I can't his name. Remember either. But they had three guys, and, and they would rotate them into the point where Bobrovsky would literally be sitting some games. And 
it seemed weird, but you know, it kind of seemed to help down the stretch, you know, and then maybe, maybe it didn't, I don't know. It's tough to just credit it to it, but um, I I do kind of wonder with such a condensed schedule, if we see at least something like that, where it's like, if you're playing say six games in 12 days or whatever, it's just something really condensed, right? You're in one of that crunch points on the schedule. If for a game or two, you go, okay, we're going to get our starter. We're just going to, we're keeping them rostered, but we're just going to sit them and bring in, you know, our other guy, because you need three goal. You need a goalie on your taxi squad or rostered on your team anyways. But I, I don't know. And I don't think, I don't like, I'm not saying that'll be with Edmonton, but if they need to use Forsberg, it'll be interesting to see what he can do because, you know, he looked all right for, you know, half a year in Chicago, but then, had a couple games in Carolina and really didn't go anywhere. And just, you know, his AHL numbers have been all right. You know, last year he struggled a little bit, but it's not a bad third option to have if you absolutely need it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think so. You know, it, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see the way that it, it plays out here and, and the way that uh, the Oilers handle things. Yeah. And then, so let's switch to the other part of the roster, which I think is definitely easily the strength of their roster and you know the top six we'll start with um but you know their forwards overall uh it'll be really interesting to see it sounds like they are going to just full-time split up mcdavid and dry i'm assuming they'll use them together on a couple shifts if they need them here or there but i'm really curious to see what a dry away from mcdavid for a full season looks like because you know even last year he played with uh, away with them more but at the start of the year they still played a ton together so I, i'm really really interested to see what the line looks like and it sounds like if i'm not mistaken it'll be uh cahoon and maybe is was it uh nugent hopkins yeah, that was along? Or uh, be, i think yamamoto will center or will be on that right wing there yeah uh you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know the oilers have for a long time kept uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl together and last year they really began to toy with splitting them apart and a lot of that has to do with Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, the Oilers recalled him from the Bakersfield Condors uh, just after Christmas and Yamamoto came up and he was a point per game player down the stretch for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, he was absolutely tremendous. Um, I think it's allowed the Oilers to kind of say okay well we need to split things up a little bit here and and you know Dreisaitl and McDavid they still play together on the power play uh, so they still do see time together and they are obviously lethal duo uh, who were part of the, you know, one of the best uh, power play units to ever play uh, last season. So it's going to be interesting to see the way that they kind of do that. It looks like right now that Nugent Hopkins will be up on that top line alongside Connor McDavid. I like that. Nugent Hopkins is a, a really solid two-way player. He's really strong in his own zone. And I think that's something that's going to benefit uh, uh, McDavid as well. And hopefully, allow for him to kind of uh, uh, explode a little bit more offensively, which is kind of weird to say when you think about talk, when you're talking about Connor McDavid, um, considering how lethal he is as a player. But you know what? McDavid still is far from a perfect, complete player in and of itself too, right? You know, he's got some woes in his own zone. Um, you know, he can put up points like no other, obviously. And honestly, this is a year that I would – I could honestly see McDavid competing for a, a, a Rocket Richard trophy. He, he needs to shoot the puck a lot more. He's got an incredibly uh, underrated shot. And I think uh, I'd like to see him utilizing that a little bit more come uh, the start of the season in a few weeks here. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, with McDavid, you know, we get into the whole uh, defensive argument and stuff like that, or, you know, just discussion, really not even an argument, I don't think, but, you know, I, I know on uh, stats, Twitter, a couple months ago now, it was a big debate about, you know, is Connor McDavid the best player in the world? You know, how much does his defensive uh, 
liabilities drag him down. And that's something I'm really curious to see because, you know, I'm personally of the belief that he has to do so much for this team offensively at times that, um, yeah, he's going to cheat in his own end, but he still produces so much more that, like, I think to me, he's still pretty comfortably the best player in the world. Um, But I I am curious to see because if he can even – become where, you know, he doesn't need to be winning a Selkie or anything like that. But if he can become where it's like he's even league average in some metrics in his own end and it doesn't hurt his offensive game, this will legitimately be the best player we have seen in ever like or in a very, very, very long time. Because even like, you know, I, I feel like people, I mean, we didn't have as much data back then, but like peak Sidney Crosby wasn't great in his own end either. You know, it wasn't until he really dedicated himself to trying to be better. And even over the past three seasons, He's been average in his own end. He hasn't been a Selkie winner, I wouldn't say. Um, even maybe even though he's got some votes at times, but he's just been fine. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that when you're as explosive in the neutral zone and in the offensive zone as guys like Crosby and McDavid are. So yeah, I, I really like splitting the top six up. It really it gives them options that it felt like they didn't have as recently as a year ago. And and if Dreisaitl can can carry his own line and that second line looks good. This, this team could be really, really dangerous because, you know, then you have the option of, as you said, RNH McDavid. And right now I think they have Cassian up on that top spot, but if pool Jar- pool Yarby shows, he can, he can play, you know, either he becomes a, a great spot for your third line and, and that's a scoring third line or pool Yarby slides up with McDavid and suddenly, you know, maybe you have a 50 point winger on your hands there. Yeah, obviously he's got to show he can play, but it really gives them a ton of options. And, and I think that's what a team like this needs. They need just the ability to kind of play in a bunch of different ways because they're going to see a bunch of different teams in terms of style this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the most interesting things to watch this year is actually going to be Zach Cassian uh, on that top line. You know, he's a guy who can put up points. He's shown that he can do that alongside Connor McDavid, which isn't the hardest thing to do in the NHL. Um, but, you know, he's he also struggled last year and he, he was undisciplined for a lot of times and he went cold. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the way that that plays out. And then that, that factors right into Pugliarvi too. You know, Pugliarvi went back to Finland and he really um, started to own his craft a little bit more. And he, he worked on a more complete game. He was playing on the penalty kill. He's working on his two-way game and, and all that sort of stuff over uh, with Carpat. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how he looks coming into the regular season. And, and you know, there's another thing, too, that, that's got to be noted with splitting on McDavid and Dreisaitl is that it, it creates a bit of a, a matchup nightmare for opposing coaches, right? Like, who, who do you want to put your top defensive uh, center, defensive forward group against? Do you want to try and shut down McDavid? Then you open up Dreisaitl. Or do you want to shut down Dreisaitl and then while you're opening up Connor McDavid, right? So it, it makes things difficult for, for opposing teams uh, and opposing coaches for sure. Yeah, exactly. Especially this year, that's going to be so important because, you know, just with the schedule and just, you know, they, they're playing six other teams. That's it. That's going to be all year unless, you know, you make it to the conference finals. And so with that, it's like, I really do think that we're going to see a lot more game planning for, you know, specific things because for teams, it's so hard during the year when you have to game plan for literally 30 other opponents at some point. Um, but, you know, this year it's going to be six and it's going to be times where, you know, like I think, you know, Ottawa has a four game homestand against the same team. And I'm pretty sure Edmonton probably has the same where it's like you play two games at home, two games on the road against like Calgary or someone. Right. Like, so I, I do wonder if, you know, coaching is going to come into it where it's like, 
not quite the same, but you almost see like football coaching matchups where it's like a team can change their game plan almost overnight or over the course of a couple of days because they know they're going to see this team so much. And just having the ability to be able to split guys up like that for Edmonton is so important because, you know, you're going to play a team like Calgary where it's like, they've got a guy like Kachuk who, who, you know, he's going to be on, you know, some of your top guys and trying to ride them. But then you're also going to play teams like Toronto where, you know, you need to split, you need the depth because you got Tavares on one line and you got uh, uh, Matthews on the next line. Right. And then, you know, maybe you load up more against a team like Ottawa who definitely won't have the depth. They're going to have, you know, Ottawa will probably try and load a lineup with that and off Brady Kachuk and, who knows at this point who's centering them, but um, yeah, just that ability to be able to, to kind of stretch out your top six and even to your third line, I think is going to be of great advantage that, you know, hopefully it's, it's something that we really see this year. And then, you know, getting into the bottom six, I don't think it's anything super special, but I, I do really like this um, possibility of a third line with Tyler Ennis, Kyle Turris and, and Jesse Pugliarvi, you know, it really, to me, um, banks on Kyle Turris finding his game because he really has struggled over the past year or two, but hopefully in a setting where he's only playing third line, um, he can find that. And I think this could be a dangerous line for a third line. You know, I, I think I'd almost make the argument that, that the only reason Turris struggled is because of what his contract expectations were, you know, you know, Turris was still a guy who was scoring at a half a point per game pace in Nashville, which is, which is a very respectable number, right? So, you know, for the Oilers, if, if Turris can come in and he can contribute uh, that kind of an, that kind of offense uh, and from the Oilers bottom six, that's, that's exactly what they're looking for. You know, look, one of the biggest issues for the Oilers for the last number of years has been their lack of depth scoring. You know, you've had McDavid and Dreisaitl and then there's been nothing it's been a bit of a, a cliff that's fallen off on the third and fourth lines and the Oilers haven't been able to consistently find any depth scoring in their roster. Well, now Ken Holland has gone out and on the cheap, he's brought in a lot of depth, Turris, Ennis, um, and, and Pugliarvi and some other guys as well who could step in and, and play a little bit too. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see the way that they kind of uh, sh- uh, shape that bottom six of the roster. Then, Hey, you know, you still got a guy like James Neal and, at the end of the day, it's it's not perfect. He, he costs too much money, and he maybe doesn't quite score like he need like he he could uh, years ago. But he and Alex Chase on were quietly some of the best uh, defensive players on the Edmonton Oilers roster last year. So you know if Neil can come in and play a fourth line role as a um, a depth grinder um, on that fourth line, playing solid defensive hockey. You know, what more can you ask for from him at this point in his career, right? He'll be a prime candidate to head to Seattle or, or for a buyout this offseason. Yeah, and with James Neal, you know, as you said, it's it, it's not ideal to have him at uh, 5.75 on your fourth line. But at this point, it's a sunk cost. So, who can, like, use him in the most effective way. Don't try and force him into a role that, you know, he's not going to be able to play. And, and so, yeah, as you said, like... Um, the, the one thing I worry about with Turris is, you know, I really just want to see him bounce back in his defensive game. And I mean, he just got to be, again, kind of closer to average. He, he really struggled with that. So hopefully, you know, not having to take some of the big matchups can really help him with that. And I'm a huge fan of Tyler Ennis. I think he's been one of the more underrated players over the past couple of years. Uh, he spent time in Ottawa last year and he's not going to light up the league or anything like that, but he's a perfect third line guy who will chip in, you know, 30 points over the 30 to 40 points over, uh, depending where he plays over the course of an 82 game season. Right. So um, as you said, if they can find some of that depth scoring and just, you know, even if their depth just kind of plays to evens, I, I think that is such 
more of an advantage than what the Edmonton Oilers have seen in the past years. And, and I really think it's possible this year. Like I, I just, it's, it's not like this depth is absolutely amazing, but it's just so much better than what they've had a couple times in the past. And so I'm really intrigued to see what the team does with it and, you know, how they look coming out. You know, Alex, you said it best, like just talking about getting average hockey, like the Oilers' bottom six has been below average for quite a long time. So if, if they can come out and, and provide average offense and average defense, um, what more can you ask for at this point? Like you don't need your bottom six to go out there and get you a goal every single game. Um, you know, even if they can come out and score a goal every two games or something along those lines, you know, that's that's enough offense right there to help contribute uh, to what the Oilers will be able to provide on not only the power play, but also in their top six as well, right? You have two of the best offensive players in the entire National Hockey League here, and it's an absolute treat to be able to get to watch and cover these guys on a nightly basis, you know? So it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see um, I think there's a lot of expectations on that bottom six. They really need to step up this year. And, you know, there's some players on there too that, you know, it could be almost end of the road for them in their NHL careers. You know, a guy like Jujar Kyra, uh, a guy like Alex Chason too. Chason's had his struggles as well, despite uh, being an analytics darling over the last uh, year or two. And the Oilers also have some other depth guys in Gaetan Haas and Joachim Nygaard. They were both guys that Ken Holland brought over from, from Europe last year. And they looked pretty solid last year. Like Nygaard struggled uh, largely because he, he had ended up with a broken hand in December, just as he was starting to find his stride. But Gaetan Haas ended up being a really solid fourth line center for the Oilers and a, a penalty killed faceoff guy by the end of the season. It's a right shot too, which is a nice, nice thing to have in that bottom six group. You know, so there's a lot of depth in this roster um, for the Oilers to be able to play with. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that shapes out. And that's not even taking into the fact that the Oilers also have another young guy in like Tyler Benson, who who came in last year and, and you know, played a little bit with the big club. But he's, you know, put up uh, 100, over 100 AHL points in the last two seasons. And he's looking like his development mint is uh is going really well at this point so it's going to be really fun to watch what happens with that bottom six there for sure and i think it's kind of one of the reasons why you know uh, edmonton's got to be in consideration you know for uh definitely a top four spot in this in, in this division but uh definitely you know that top one or two range too um so you know i think i'll ask you you know i, I go through it every week and i feel like my answer changes every week but where you know where do you have them sitting in this division is it one or two or is it you know three or four yeah, I think I got him. Um, I think I, I kind of got him pegged a little bit more in the two to three range. And that's just being a little bit conservative. Uh, I mean, I think there's a good chance the others can go out and compete for that top spot. I really do. Like, I, I Toronto's a good club for sure, but Toronto also has just as many question marks about them as the Edmonton Oilers do. Right. And I think there might be a little bit of that, you know, Eastern media bias and the, the Toronto bias uh, that might have so many people ranking them number one. Um, conservatively, I'd say number three, um, optimistically number one, right? So anywhere in that range for the Oilers is going to be great. Uh, anything beyond that. I mean, like I said, even if they make the playoffs as a four seed, like that would be, that would be good, right? It wouldn't be great. Um, and anything less than that would be nothing short of a a complete failure on the season. So, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the way that this plays out and the way that this shakes out over the course of the next number of months here. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think third is probably where I would have them as well. When I did my official division rankings, I think I, I had, I, I try and tier them and I had Toronto as a slightly more tier than Calgary and Edmonton, but I Calgary and Edmonton, right. Is that two, three, where I could easily see them winning the division. It's just, I think they're, you know, a, a few more questions or bigger questions anyways, you know, I, but again, every, there's no perfect team here. You know, every team definitely has all question marks to be answered. You know, Toronto, how's their depth going to work is, you know, is teach someone like TJ Brody going to help their defensive game? Can Frederick Anderson bounce back? You know, th- there is legitimate questions there as well. And, and, you know, with Calgary, it, it's kind of the same as, does Jacob Markstrom, you know, help them uh, patch their goaltending problems? Can their defense, you know, as the core of it step up? So uh, th- there's definitely just as many questions here. And I think that three range is kind of good, uh, a good spot to slot them in. And honestly, I, I can see it being really close, you know, like I, I could see four or five of these teams being separated by about five or six points by the end of the year, or even less, you know, like I really think that it's going to be a a close race between a lot of these teams. And um, I'm very excited, you know, to watch what, what happens and what breaks down, you know, how things are going to change as, as you play guys the the same amount of time over and over again, because uh, you know, we just, we really haven't seen anything like this in a very long time, you know, not in the modern era anyway since expansion and so it'll be really interesting to see just what it looks like you know when you're playing you know do you change um your lineup and your your approach when you're playing a team three or four times in a row yeah no doubt it's going to be crazy to kind of see the way that it all shakes out i mean i think we're i think we're in line for honestly some of the best hockey we've seen in a number of years here uh this season solely for that reason it's going to be crazy to watch these mini series and and you know on top of that it's gonna spark some rivalries up again right like we saw the bad blood between the Oilers and the Flames last year and it's just a, a simple matter of when you play a team so much it just starts to happen again right so you know it's gonna be really interesting to see the way that uh, that all shakes out this year yeah for sure and I mean even to the same thing you know um they're gonna develop rivalries that uh uh, they might not carry on quite as much, but, you know, like Oilers Toronto, that, that should be a great matchup every time they play. And, you know, even though they're only going to play each other two times next year, you know, those two times should hopefully be heated, you know, just a lot like way more exciting. And I know, you know, just the ability for um, us here out East to, you know, see guys like Connor McDavid so much more often is going to be great because, you know, part of the issue with a West is like, if your team's going out West, it's, out here, it's a 10 to 10.30 start time sometimes. It's like, damn, like, it's hard to see it. But, you know, with stars like Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl and and even, you know, uh, Matthew Kachuk and them and, and Johnny Goudreau coming through, I think it'll just lead to, you know, so much more exciting hockey. You know, we, we're, we're really lucky in this Canadian division that um, I think just about every team is someone you want to watch or a reason to watch. You know, even the Ottawa Senators, uh, Tim Stutzel should be amazing this year. No, Thomas Shabbat's an absolute treat to watch, right? So, yeah. and and they're going to give you a game. You know, they're not going to roll over and be free points like, you know, some people might think they are. So uh, I'm really excited for what this year brings. I, I just, you know, World Juniors are on right now and I've been loving it. But man, I just, with the schedule release and just like times and everything, I'm just, I'm so pumped to get the season started. Yeah, so am I. I mean, it's the same sort of a thing here. You know, it's uh, it's really exciting to kind of finally be back to, regularly scheduled programming when it comes to hockey i mean it's been it's been a pretty long 10 months without any regular hockey on the go um especially as somebody who's a content creator uh for a number of hockey websites so uh it's always easier to talk about hockey when there's actually hockey being played so uh yeah it's gonna be a blast to kind of get back into it and and see what happens this year 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you, find your work, all that? Yeah, so uh, I can be found on Twitter at ZJ Lang, so Z-J-L-A-I-N-G. Uh, and then from there, you can see uh, where I write, Oilers Nation, Canucks Army, Flames Nation, uh, Jets Nation, Leafs Nation, uh, Red Wings Nation, Daily Faceoff, HockeyFights.com, uh, Oilers Nation Radio Podcast. We are everywhere across the, uh, the internet world, so uh, come check it out. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. You know, Oilers Nations, where I found you personally. I, I was reading through some of the stuff and I was like, okay, here. And, you know, I, I noticed you post a, a bunch of stuff on there as well. So, you know, great work. Keep it up. And uh, I look forward to talk, catching up later in the season, you know, as we actually have some games to talk about as well. Yeah, likewise, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much for joining me.